1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Hi, this is Molly. And Cody. Please join us as we talk true crime over the fence. are back from our siesta thank you for letting thank us you. take last friday off uh, i think we left it. them with a good episode that week though, for sure mm-hmm. and uh we've gotten some feedback on the episode yeah everyone loves my dad and he uh they want him yes. to become another host on the show
0: yeah my husband literally was like <laughs> listen to him and he's all um so how often could doug be on on the show i was so like
1: i don't know <laughs> i saw him out front of the house and he goes you know i love you and molly and i was like oh god what's coming he was like my favorite episode by far is your dad. I know. I, I was, was like, all
0: think because that's not even a story we're telling. We're just like their are Commentary. Not on. even
1: good. providing good commentary yeah, no, is just no. listening to my dad. So yeah. thanks, Pops, for showing us up. Yeah. But so- you know what? You- I learned everything I know from you. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of funny because Molly and me, as we've lived next door to each other and started doing the podcast and just everything, we've learned. We have very similar
0: Our parents are very similar, which is weird, which is
1: probably why we're very similar. Right.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like Cody's dad was in the music industry, as you all heard. My dad was in the music industry on a different side of it. He was more in the like distribution side of the music industry. But that's what he did my whole childhood. So like very similar jobs our fathers had. And I Mm -hmm. think our dads both have the same kind of personality, kind of like very... Cool, calm, and collected. So in high school, I always had friends be like, your dad is just so cool. I mean, I would just be the kind of dad just like chilling and like super cool and like easy to talk to. And I feel like your dad was kind of the same kind of guy, you know?
1: So my dad, I don't know if he'd kill me for telling this, me and my friends would come into the house mm-hmm. or we'd be leaving the house to go to parties or wherever out for the night. And he'd always go, hey, you got the good weed on you? You got the good shit? <laughs> he would say that to you guys? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, dad, you're so sweet. Come to find out like years later, he probably had the good stuff oh, on him. for sure. But I was just yeah. I was like, oh, my dad's so lame. Yeah, yeah. But my friends were kind of like, well, does he? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> no. So, but now when you're an adult, you can figure those things yeah, out. Yeah, you
0: kind of know now. Yeah.
1: You know, I then, our dads are very, you know, cool, calm and collected. And our moms are very supportive and passionate about their children, but very realistic. At right. The same time. Exactly.
0: Like our moms are the type of moms that will just tell you like it is and they don't care if it hurts your feelings or not. But yeah. it, I mean, it's not a bad thing. No. Some, of the, time. some it, of the times it's hard to take, but I mean, in the end, they're usually right
1: which I hate to admit. <laughs> and my mom is one of my best friends and I talk to her almost every day. I like talking to her and she's my sounding board, but she's very realistic yeah. and um I think that goes with the artistic side of our dad. They they complimented each other, you know, you have the realist and the artist. Yeah,
0: exactly. And because sometimes I remember being a kid and be like, God, they they have nothing alike. How are (laughs) they
1: married? But like now you kind of get it, you know what I mean? Well, I get it. They're simpatico. (laughs) Yes,
0: it works. It works. Always talking. She'll tell me something about like her mom or dad or I'd be like, oh, my God, that's exactly how my parents would react to that. Super interesting. That's weird. So I'm going to be telling a story today. I randomly came across a news article about the first Female being federally executed in almost seventy years, and that like. piqued my interest. Cause I'm like, whoa! Like, first of all, seventy years is a long time for them not to like execute someone. I feel like, I mean, I guess I've heard it takes a very long time, but that's just interesting. Seventy years since a woman has been executed, um and she's uh, going to be scheduled to be executed on December eighth, twenty twenty. So it's I coming can't right believe
1: now. that they're not. I don't know. They've delayed everything due to COVID. I I can't believe they're not delaying executions. Well,
0: maybe they did. I don't even I didn't even read that if they delayed it because of COVID. But I mean, this is when they have have scheduled it. And the woman that is being executed is Lisa Montgomery. She is actually the only woman on the federal government's death row right now. Other women have been executed in the US in the past few years, but not under federal death penalty so i was like well what's the difference between state and federal death penalty i didn't really realize there's a difference so i'm going to kind of just read you a description of like what that is Uh, as currently administered the federal death penalty is used to attain death sentence against defendants in states where the death penalty maybe is not available oh and also where the state prosecution has resulted in a sentence less than death or where a state death sentence has been overturned on appeal Hmm. So I guess they kind of use that as like a crutch or a tool to like get someone executed that possibly might not be executed due to like what they are, what they allow charged. in the state. Right. Or what they're being charged with or, you know, whatever. So that was kind of interesting. Kind so, of like a
1: backup plan.
0: Yeah. That's kind of what it sounds like. Right. So just a little background about like the death penalty and everything and women in the death penalties. Only around 2% of inmates on death row and 1% of those executed are women. In April, this recent April, there were more than 50 women on state and federal de- death row. And statistically, the violent crimes women commit are less likely to be considered for like capital punishment than those that are committed by the men because both the nature of the crimes and public perception of women. So if you think about it, most women's crimes are, I mean, you don't see many crimes. I mean, they do happen, but I'm saying not as often as men do you see women committing pretty horrific, violent crimes crimes that possibly would be taken up for consideration for the death penalty and also it's just the perception it's a
1: woman mm-hmm. i mean
0: public perception you know like they don't how dangerous
1: is this person she's a e- woman
0: exactly or like do you really want to kill a woman right. right you know what i mean so most murders committed by women are domestic murders which are like often considered as of like acts of passion and those kind of really aren't eligible for the death penalty so like one that comes into mind is like the betty broderick story mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah she murdered two people is that's like was like an act of passion you know what i'm right. saying And again, like we said, sometimes jurors will like subconsciously take into account of like the stereotypical views of women Mm -hmm. Um, and prosecutors usually who seek death penalties on women are often perceived as like bloodthirsty prosecutors by Mm. people. So they're like, how could you why would you just want to go and kill this woman? So like in cases of women on trial for murder, prosecutors often attempt to portray women as deviant and not meeting like traditional gender roles. And they tend to blame them for like their own abuse or mental illness as well. Execution of women is very rare. So since 1632, there have been 575 documented execution of women of more than the
1: 15,000 confirmed executions in the United States. These are court executions. You're not talking about the mass amount of witches. Well, no, <laughs> we're not going. We're not going to Salem and talking about the witches. No, just saying because I think that would just up the ante there real quick. Yeah, I, that's. Yeah, I have no idea. And
0: they found this out through a database of executions in the United States and earlier colonies. It's called the SB files I guess so this is how they get that information so out of 15,000 people only 575 of those are women that are be have been which is crazy since 1632 so since the U.S. Supreme Court's st- Uh, struck down the death penalty in 1972 they argued that it constituted cruel and unusual punishment in 1972 and then they reversed that decision four years later well since then only 16 women in death row across the country have been executed since the mid 70s
1: yeah basically
0: among them one of them the woman actually was a very famous one was Aileen Wuornos I think that's how you said I I should know how to say that and she was of course a hitchhiking prostitute who killed six men along Florida highways and she initially came these killings were in self-defense after she was assaulted by the clients but later told officials she did them intentionally and she was executed in florida in 2002 so not
1: that long ago when you started talking about women that have been executed that's the literally the first person that i thought did of. you really yeah because yeah. well if you think that's like the most probably one of the more famous ones and you don't hear
0: about women being Mm-mm. executed not like you hear about men recently very much either but it's not common either but
1: women very rare i mean we've so. talked about multiple female serial mm-hmm. killers on ours and none of them More were executed. executed no
0: my next case i'm gonna do we're gonna go back and talk about of course is the woman who's being executed and that's in december and this is lisa montgomery and of course we're gonna talk about the victim mostly because she's the most important person and it is the murder of bobby joe stinnett bobby joe is a female lisa montgomery she was born in 1968 and she was from melbourne texas and Lisa met Bobby Joe on a rat terrier which is a dog chat room called the Ratter Chatter <laughs> okay. I love that every time you say it. it makes me Ratter Chatter um, and she Lisa was posing as a woman named Darlene Fisher so Lisa told um, Bobby Joe who was actually pregnant at the time Bobby Joe was pregnant that she was pregnant too and the two women chatted online exchanged emails and they talked about their pregnancies and Lisa then arranged a meeting at Bobby Joe's home under the pretext of like wanting to buy one of her I guess she breeded dogs at the time so she wanted to buy one of her rat terriers one of her ratter chatters her ratter chatters Bobby Joe was eight months pregnant when she was murdered in December of 2004 it showed that Bobby Joe was of course struggled with her attacker as she was being strangled Bobby Joe was strangled into unconsciousness regained some consciousness while the incision was being made oh man yes to take out her unborn baby. I actually feel like I remember hearing about this story because it happened in 2004. I
1: remember this I story. I think I've heard it too or mm-hmm. watched some kind of lifetime remake yeah, of this issue. Yeah, right,
0: right. So Lisa basically went there, strangled her, made an incision inside her stomach, and at the, all this time, you know, according to what they think, Bobby Joe is in and out of consciousness. Struggled with Lisa, and she was then strangled a second time by her. And she, of course, died, unfortunately, of strangulation and the loss of blood. Because she is not a medical doctor, right? and making an incision in her complete stomach and cutting out her unborn baby. So there was blood on the soles of Bobby Joe's feet, which meant, of course, that she was conscious. Because if she wasn't, you know, she obviously had put her feet up at some point to get Mm -hmm. the blood. She wasn't laying out flat. So she had stepped on this blood that was, like, already on the floor at some point or another. There was enough blood on the floor to come like up between her toes and like soak into her toenails. Mm. There were two sets of abrasions on her neck that were left by the rope and the nylon rope they find eventually was stained with like her dried blood. Bobby Jo also had cuts on her hands from defending herself and was struck on the bridge of her nose and the right side of her head during the struggle. So Bobby Jo was unfortunately discovered by her mother, um, Becky Harper, in a pool of blood about an hour after the assault so she found her really quickly after but i think it just was so bad that right. i mean the blood loss i think obviously the strangling but also the blood loss so her mom immediately called 911 describing the wounds inflicted upon her daughter as appearing as if her stomach had exploded that's what she said attempts by paramedics to revive bobby joe were unsuccessful and she was pronounced dead at the saint francis hospital in marysville missouri good news is the child survived i was going to ask you where is the baby so she survived which is crazy she was a full-grown fetus fetus yeah so she was soon after that brought to melbourne kansas by lisa where she was using the newborn to be claimed as her own so she was trying to pass this baby off as her own baby luckily authorities found them a day later on december 17th the quick recovery and capture of it was for a many different reasons ones being the computer forensics right yeah which tracked lisa and bobby joe's online communication with one another so they were talking mean, they're online talking about their ratter chatter about this dog right. they're going to be purchasing you know so they knew they were having a conversation they both bred rat terriers and they may have even i guess they are saying they possibly attended dog shows together in the past so they kind of like had some coming across each other at Times. The investigation was also aided by the issuance of an Amber Alert to enlist like the public's help, and that was actually initially denied, which was interesting. I thought because it had never been used for an unborn child, like in a case. You know what I'm saying? So there was no description of them. So it's right. like, how do you do an Amber Alert with like no description? Just right, preterm baby. a
1: preterm baby or a newborn baby. I mean, at eight months. It probably looks like a. A baby that is due to be born, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it's, not... it's more of like the internal thing, like lungs right, and stuff exactly. that haven't developed at that yeah. point.
0: So they didn't know how to, they denied it at first because they're like, We can't do an Amber Alert. Like, how, we are looking
1: for a baby.
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, How do you explain that? It was known that Bobby Joe was expecting people to come by as prospector buyers for these, you know, her rat terriers around the time of her murder. So they knew people were coming by. They have the tracking of, like, you know, that lisa was looking to buy one and also there was no sign of forced entry into her home so it's obviously this person was welcomed into her home at the time and with all those all that said and done they believe that it's lisa montgomery that has caused this crime so when authorities went to go speak to lisa after they pretty much assumed that it was her that committed this crime they found her in her living room holding a baby and watching television with the Amber Alert flashing on the screen of the television. Mm. Yeah. Of course, they had to use DNA testing to confirm the infant's identity. And um, of course, it was the daughter of Bobby Joe. And uh, pretty much right soon after that, Lisa confessed to the crime.
1: Are you going to explain to me what what she was attempting by this i mean obviously she was planning on making this look like the baby was her own but i'd like to hear the backstory on that that she was giving to people that is
0: actually the next thing it's speculated that lisa motivation stemmed from a miscarriage she may have suffered and subsequently concealed from her family um so kind of like a little background on lisa like she was raised in an abusive home where she was like raped by her stepfather for like many years growing up Um, she sought escape from that pain by drinking and abusing alcohol when she was 14 her mother discovered this abuse and reacted by like threatening her daughter with a gun Mm. yeah so that's really nice your daughter tells you she's being raped by her stepfather and you're going to threaten her with a gun she of course at a young age lisa tried to escape this situation by marrying at the age of 18 because who wouldn't if living in that situation So both this marriage and she had a second marriage uh ended and that also resulted in further abuse from these marriages she actually had four of her own children. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing with this, they believe this was from a miscarriage she might have suffered. And she had supposedly told family members she was pregnant. Montgomery's former husband told authorities that she underwent a tubal ligation in
1: 1990.
0: Oh, so okay. So she's not possible of getting pregnant pregnant after that
1: no not Um, not
0: not not really unless they grew back miraculously right and she had a history of falsely telling acquaintances and family members that she was pregnant they're saying how and whether she was really pregnant is unclear but i mean if she had a tubal ligation in 1990 she wasn't pregnant like there's no
1: possible who's the father supposed to be
0: uh anyone in particular the father of bobby joe
1: no the father of this lisa's baby
0: Oh, I don't know. I, they never really well, Quote, she said unquote, her baby. former husband said that. But I mean, that was probably one of the, the who knows. She probably wasn't going to say if there I mean, was a husband. I mean, anyone can go sleep with someone and get pregnant. Right. And not really but
1: say. logistically speaking, I don't know. I mean, Lisa has four children. Yes. You would think she understands how it works when you have a baby.
0: Yeah. Well, my thought is I don't think Lisa's mentally all there at this. Well, point obviously not.
1: But I just there was no yeah. thought whatsoever.
0: Yeah. She obviously suffered a lot of abuse in her life through childhood and her marriages. And I don't know what it exactly mentally was going on with her, but she But snapped in snapped her. or something. The baby, just to go back to little baby, mm-hmm. is Victoria Joe Stinnett. Okay. And she was returned and put in care of her father, Zeb Stinnett. Okay. So she's good to go. So on December 20th, four days after the murder of Bobby Joe, uh Lisa was charged with capital offense of kidnapping resulting in death and was convicted of this of this charge in the u.s district court a little more background like what they kind of thought at a pre-trial hearing a neuropsychologist testified that head injuries which montgomery has sustained some years before could have damaged a part of her brain that controls aggression
1: mm-hmm.
0: which yeah i it's obviously an aggressive thing but she didn't sound like she was super aggressive though so that was an interesting thing to say i felt like it was more of like a snapping and like it was aggressive I guess I, when I think aggressive, I just think of a
1: furious beating. You know what I'm saying? Even, yeah, she like, was. Right. Or the murder wasn't the intended outcome of this. Right. The, the theft she just wanted of, the, the baby. kidnapping of the baby was. Right. She didn't want to aggressively kill another woman that could have a baby. Mm-hmm. She wanted, wanted the, the baby. baby. Yeah, exactly. By so, any means necessary. I
0: just felt like it would be a different outcome instead of saying that's what was not being controlled. I don't know. I thought it would be more like, well, she obviously suffered all of physical abuse that maybe... St- she needed a baby i don't know it just seemed interesting during the trial in federal court her defense attorneys asserted that she suffered from pseudosiasis it's a mental condition that causes women to falsely believe she's pregnant and exhibit outward signs of pregnancy oh. so that i believe right because she obviously had a tubal ligation in 1990 i and i think some people women do go through some sort of mental thing where they believe they're pregnant especially if there's some trauma they had mm-hmm. and stuff and i've seen I'm i'm not gonna like admit to this but i have I am admitting to this. I have watched a lot of Dr. Phil in my past, which is not on YouTube TV anymore. It makes me a little sad because I do enjoy Dr. Phil every once in a while. But he has had people on there that believe they are pregnant. And I've seen it before, like watching people, they they'll think they're feeling kicks and they won't believe that they're not pregnant. Right. So it's a thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. According to the psychologist, Lisa's childhood sexual abuse and post-traumatic stress disorder she probably had predisposed her to the pseudosiasis. They, they testified that Montgomery's stories about her action fluctuated because of her delusional state, or like her delusional state fluctuated, obviously. They stated that Montgomery, Lisa Montgomery, was suffering from a, a severe mental disease or defect which when she committed the crime and that she was unable to appreciate the nature and quality of her acts, which makes sense to me
1: i completely agree with that
0: there's a forensic psychiatrist named park Dietz, and he testified for the prosecution and Dietz had worked with like prosecutors on very high profile cases so like a serial killer jeffrey dahmer and the unabomber ted Kaczynski, as well as two women andrea yates and susan smith if you don't remember them they very famously killed their own children by drowning one of them in a car one in the bathtub And Yates was found not guilty by the reason of insanity, and Dietz testified that Lisa Montgomery did not suffer from pseudosiasis and dismissed the theory of that. Okay. So... I thought that was interesting since he was such a high profile, right? You know, uh, psychiatrist. And he called BS friends, on it. Yeah, friends of psychiatrist. He's very high profile, and he was, yeah, calling BS on it. So on October 22nd, 2007, Joros found Lisa guilty of murder. On October 26th, the jury recommended the death sentence, and they formally gave her the death sentence as of then. So, yeah, so now she's due to be put to death so that is the story of lisa yeah she's due to be executed in december soon here so we'll see if it actually goes through you never know i mean there's appeals that lots of appeals that happen before yeah the... they have to be filed right yeah. up to the minute that they go. yeah basically so i thought it'd be interesting to talk about lisa but also to talk about the last woman that was put to death okay and that is going to be the case of the kidnapping of Bobby Greenlease.
1: Lots of Bobbies going on. Yeah,
0: interesting, huh? So the last woman to be federally executed was a woman named Bonnie Heady. And this is a crime committed by her and Carl Hall. So I guess this is her boyfriend, obviously. She was federally executed in September 1953 in the gas chamber, which is like crazy because the
1: gas chamber, like... Right. Yeah. 1953.
0: Which you don't... (laughs) I feel like that wouldn't have been happening then, but I guess it was.
1: I, I guess you just what I go to is the 1950s housewife and you picture a woman going to... The gas chamber. Yeah. I want to hear what she did. Yeah. And what she'd do.
0: And we're talking about Bonnie because she was last one federally executed, but also Carl, her boyfriend, is very much part of the story. So we'll be talking about both of them. Um, so Robert Cosgrove Bobby Greenlease Jr. was born February 3rd, 1947. He was six years old and he was from Kansas City, Missouri. He was a victim of kidnapping and a homicide on September 28, 1953. Um, His father was Robert Greenlease Sr., and he was actually a multimillionaire auto dealer. And the requested ransom payment that comes up later on, this is actually the largest ever in American history at the time of this. Okay. So he was a rich guy. So he was born, to, of course, like we said, to Robert Greenlee Sr. and Virginia Pollock. He was a multimillionaire Cadillac dealer and audio entrepreneur. And he made his fortune by introducing general motor vehicles to the Great Plains in the early 20th century, um, owning dealerships from Texas to South Dakota. And he was 65 years old when Bobby was born in 1947. So he was getting a a little late start there. Right. (laughs) The Greenleases were said to have been very devoted to Bobby. Bobby was said to be a very trusting little boy. Something that Bonnie says later on stated that the moment she appeared at his school posing as his aunt, which we'll hear more about. But she said he just took her hand and did anything he was told Uh to do. So he was just such a trusting boy that he didn't question anyone, which is why you teach your kids Stranger Danger. Stranger Danger. This is way before Stranger Danger. (laughs) Way before. I mean, no one thought about this. We're going to talk a little bit about Carl Hall. Um, He was a very pampered son of a wealthy St. Louis lawyer. He never had to work for a living. He had a father that died in 1946 and left Hall more than $200,000 when he died. So, through wild drinking and drug addiction, he quickly squandered all that money, had nothing left, and he needed to obtain more funds to feed his drug and alcohol habit. So, he began robbing taxicabs and his Pretty clumsy, not great robberies. Uh, soon, brought police to his door, and he was given a five-year term in the Missouri State Penitentiary. He served sixteen months and was released in ni- April 1953. And then he immediately began planning the kidnapping and murder of a small of the small child, uh, Bobby Greenlease, because he knew he was the son of a very wealthy man. So as soon as Carl left prison, he was greeted by a woman who had he had never met this woman before and she was a very plump 41 year old widow with a very cute face she and portly yeah we'll say that portly is portly <laughs> <laughs> and she embraced him kissed him passionately and he doesn't know who she is no oh, no geez. and then introduced herself and she was bonnie brown Heedy. bonnie was married to dan heady and he was a very well-known Famous bank robber, not famous, but he was just a well-known bank robber at the time. And he, her husband, had been in prison and then escaped prison, only to be shot down by the sheriff department um, while trying to reach his wife, Bonnie. And when Bonnie was told her husband had been shot to death, she kind of smiled and said, "That's that's too bad." You can tell there's a lot of compassion
1: coming from Bonnie. Bon- but let, let me find a. So he was a really good bank robber. Let me find like a real low level one that sucks at it. That's yeah. In jail. I'm going I'm to get him out. and then yeah. I'm going to teach him the
0: ropes. Yeah. So that's kind of what ends up happening. So Bonnie was not addicted to like criminal types.
1: Mm-hmm. We've like talked Hall. about them before. Yep.
0: And she also was addicted to heroin. Oh, she had heard about Hall from like ex-prisoners and become intrigued by like his like crimes he had committed and so that's she found him when he got out and took him to her her, his her home in st joseph missouri and that's kind of how it worked and husband him up she literally he literally walked out of the jail and she went up to him and like kissed him and said you're coming home with me and i'm sure carl was like all right like i I don't got nowhere else to go isn't that crazy so bonnie was uh was an alcoholic and drank most of her waking days like she was drinking all day and all night hall either drank himself into stupors with her or mainlined heroin and was in a drugged state all the time when the couple sobered up they began to work out the details of the greenlee's kidnapping which hall had been planning since prison Mm. so the idea of committing an atrocious crime excited bonnie who would listen to Hall's plan of like this kidnapping and murder She would say things like Why? That's better than sex Okay so I'm
1: Until like, wow. you end up in the gas chamber I know Which, yeah.
0: With Lucky Land Slots You can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved We are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here We were getting lucky in
0: the limo and we lost track of time
1: No, Lucky Land Casino With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She, of course, agreed to take part of this crime. The night before the kidnapping, Hall and um, Heedy, Bonnie, um, in a downpour, put on boots, took a shovel into Bonnie's backyard. And they dug a small shallow grave and they where they attempted to bur- bury the body of the child that they would be kidnapping the following day. And after completing the tour, the couple celebrated by getting drunk. Think about this. They are planning on killing this child,
1: obviously, because there's a grave. It's yes. more
0: than a kidnapping. They're right, going to kill him. Right. It's interesting because as you see, they'll make the family feel very comfortable that the child is not being killed. So it's just really sad to see that they all along were planning to kill this child. Right. So in September 1953, Carl and Bonnie um, kidnapped Bobby. And what had happened was Bobby was at the, I'm going to try to say this fancy school name right, Notre Dame de Sion, a Catholic preschool located in Kansas City, Missouri. The kidnappers were living together nearby in St. Joseph. So the interesting thing was that Hall at one point had attended a military school in Boonville. So he attended this military school with Paul Robert Greenlease, which was Bobby's adopted older brother. He had planned for years to victimize this this family. Yeah. So he kind of learned about him from the brother, started planning it ever since then in jail. He was planning it after jail. So he had been planning this for Mm -hmm. quite a long time. Bonnie went to Bobby's school, the very fancy named one, and (laughs) persuaded a nun there. Her name was Sister Morand that she was his aunt. And she told her that Bobby's mother had suffered a heart attack and was in Saint Mary's Hospital. Sister Moran recalled that Bobby walked directly to the woman without hesitation, and there was nothing in his actions or his behavior that indicated doubt on his part, so that this woman was his aunt. Like she he seemed to act like he almost knew her, right? Right. So as the as the woman left which is bonnie the school she had an arm around bobby's shoulder and was holding his hand and sister moran last saw them entering into a ca- taxi cab wow. so yeah so it was just interesting that bobby i guess i just don't know went with her. yeah he says i you know
1: i have a six-year-old that mm-hmm.
0: i don't know would they or wouldn't they
1: i don't know apparently today <laughs> complete <laughs> digression but apparently he was having a rough time today and the lady was saying your mom's gonna come pick you up your mom's gonna come pick you up And she said, actually, your mom's not going to pick you up. You're coming up with me and I have lots of chores to do. You're going to do lots of chores. And then he was like, no, wait, do you have a swimming pool? And I was like, (laughs) that's it? So I'm like, hey, kid i got a swimming pool yeah that's all it's gonna take is a pool <laughs> yeah I've i know always, i always thought it was like puppies or mm-hmm. candy for him it's a pool, pool yeah i definitely know my five almost
0: five-year-old would never go with anyone if it wasn't me because she is terrified of anything like that and if it's not me she would but if it was someone yeah. she didn't know she's too like a yeah scared she a cat. would be super hesitant but anyway so yeah so he just walked off with her so she took bobby away in a taxi cab and it was driven by a guy named john hager of the ace cab company who of course testified in court that remembering of course, later on that he had picked Bobby and Bonnie up and, she had stated in the taxicab that she was his aunt. So mm-hmm. she was, you know, playing that role. So approximately around eleven thirty that day, the so sister Martha Anna of the of that school called the Greenlease's home to inquire about like Mrs. Greenlease's condition. Of course they hear that she had a heart attack. They're like, Oh my gosh, well we should call and check and make sure mm-hmm. everything's going okay. And she spoke to Mrs. Greenlease and at that time they learned that the story told by the woman who came and claimed to be Bobby's aunt was false. Oh. Mrs. Greenlease immediately called her husband, who rushed home, and after hearing the story of what happened, he notified the chief of police in Kansas City, who, turned reporters, who, who in turn reported the matter to the FBI. So a few hours after the kidnapping, the Greenleases received their first ransom letter concerning the return of their son. The first letter was mailed special delivery, and it demanded $600,000 in 20s, 10s, and placed in a duffel bag. The kidnappers promised Bobby's safe return in 24 hours, and as long as there was no tricks in delivering the money, he'd be back. Then the second ransom letter, which came, and it came about a day later. So inside the envelope was a Jerusalem medal, which I guess had been worn by Bobby at the time. And the letter, again, contained demands for $600,000 and stated that Bobby was okay, but homesick. And overall, the green leases received over half a dozen ransom notes and 15 telephone calls during this. The final communication between the Greenleases and the kidnappers was a call received at 1 a.m. beginning of October, so like about a week or so later, and the kidnappers stated they had received the 600000 in ransom money and assured the Greenleases that their son was alive and that he would be returned in 24 hours. Okay, so, of course, you can see the ransom is paid. Okay, okay, so we'll get to that a little bit too. Unknown to the family, these kidnappers, the couple Carl and Bonnie had taken Bobby across state lines to Johnson County, Kansas, and Hall shot him three times in the head with a revolver. They wrapped his body and took the child back to Saint Joseph, Missouri, where they buried him in the backyard of Hiti's house. So again, they—he's dead. This he's whole dead time. the whole time. From the minute that they started trying to talk to them, he—they had, had no intention of keeping this boy alive. Mm. Bobby's father was desperately trying to save his son, so he paid the money unbeknownst to cops. And Carl, after he collected this money, was convinced that the police would trace him back to Saint Joseph, so he decided to to drive to Saint Louis to get out of the area. And once they had collected the money, of course, they fled. So once they were in Saint Louis, Hall and Heedy got a hotel room, and they, I guess, Bonnie was totally wasted at this point Shocker. this night. So they had done this crime; they had all this money; they were getting all wasted. And Hall ended up leaving her in the middle of the night. He left her with only $2,000 in her pocketbook. And he took the rest of the $600,000 in ransom and left. Well, that's not an even split, is it? Mm-hmm. No. So he didn't leave town, but he just merely went to an expensive hotel in town where he bought basically prostitutes all right yeah and he began to tip and he was tipping obviously very lavishly because he's six hundred thousand dollars richer i'm sorry five hundred five hundred ninety eight thousand dollars richer because he did give bonnie that two thousand dollars so kind you know, so he's tipping very lavishly. And that drew suspicions from these like hotel employees are like, who is this guy like with all these prostitutes like tipping really nicely to everyone that works here. So one of the employees were alerted by like the news coverage of this recent kidnapping in Kansas City, that how it had been the largest ransom ever paid in US history. So they're like, hmm, this is weird. there's this random guy here with all this money throwing it around. They called the St. Louis police and reported the man who was again like a
1: smart employee they have their
0: investigator hat on right so yeah he reported a man is spending big money around the congress hotel and he doesn't look the part so i mean you gotta think it's like Mm -hmm. he's not probably a heroin addict yeah he's a heroin alcoholic like drug addict like he probably doesn't look real put together no i'm sure he doesn't dress nicely i'm sure he probably isn't really cleanly you know what i'm saying just because he's been living not really on the streets, but like living place to place, getting drunk, getting high, you know. So, he didn't look like a six hundred thousand dollar rich man. So the St. Louis police, a police lieutenant and patrolman, went to to investigate this guy that was there. They found Carl nurturing a terrible hangover in his room at the Congress Hotel oh, the next day. Guy. Inside his bags, according to the police, the two officers found more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. A 38 caliber snub-nosed revolver and three cartridges fired. Hall was taken in for questioning. Some hours later, police picked up Bonnie and both were grilled about the crime until dawn. The FBI agents went to Bonnie's home where they were able to find the body of Bobby Greenlease. They sadly, of course, had to inform his parents because his parents probably still at this time were thinking, we paid them. He's Mm -hmm. fine. They're going to find him fine. Such pieces of shits to like make them think that their son is fine, and they never ever never had ever. any intention. Like what horrible, horrible, crappy, crap, crap, crap people. That's all I have to say. They're about garbage. That. Such garbage, garbage people. So of course they ended up. They started to talk. These two. Um, Bonnie at first insisted that she did not know that she was part of a kidnapping. Oh, okay. You <laughs> know, she said she thought Hall was the former husband of Mrs. Greenlease, and that she was merely trying to help him obtain his son, who had been kept from him so she mm. so basically she was saying she thought bobby was carl hall's son and he was formerly married to mrs greenleafs and she was trying to get his son back for him
1: i call bs because she already knew all about <laughs> carl because well, she liked him when he was in prison and he didn't even know her so I, she you know that she had she was like one of those girls or those women that's mm-hmm. really good at like internet investigating people right. before it's a thing yeah she investigated him so she knew that he didn't have a kid she's a liar well especially yeah. because this is a prominent family in the community and you know who his dad is and they dug a grave do you think he was going to go get a son so they can kill him sorry like, i didn't even, didn't even think about like that. that part yeah. and i
0: was just talking about going to get the kid yeah so that was kind of a dumb story so of course that story quickly was gone when the fbi and local police confronted her with the, the real facts that Proved she and Carl had been together since his prison release. And Carl and Bonnie then admitted that the, to the kidnapping, but loudly denied having killed the child. Carl placed the blame on an ex convict, Thomas John Marsh, a man he had known in prison. This, too, was, of course, another made up story. So they're just grappling at straws. I mean, so finally, Carl made a full confession. So, with all of his promises and assurances to the Greenlist family, he was basically made a bland confession like no emotion he confessed that bobby was dead and that he murdered the child only a few hours after the abduction so it only taken a couple hours so it's like he kidnapped him and killed him within a few hours wasn't even a chance so he'd driven from kansas city to a deserted farm carl said that bonnie took a stroll in the field while he placed his hands around the boy's necks and tried to strangle him inside the car so bonnie left the car left them in the car he attempted to strangle bobby he said Bobby was very feisty and he fought for his life. He struck Carl and he squirmed and repeatedly like got out of his that's grasp. That's freaking awful. I know. Carl told investigators that he had been prepared for resistance. So he thought that this kid would probably, I mean, any kid that's being attacked is going to fight back. He right, was not right. like anyone's going to take it down, ta- lay down and take it, you know. So he said he had a gun in his coat pocket. I pulled it out and shot once trying to hit him in the heart. I didn't know I hit him or not for he was still alive. I shot him through the head on the second shot. I took him out of the car, laid him on the ground, and put him in a plastic bag. I remember a lot of blood there. This farm where the killing occurred is about two miles south and two miles west of the state line. After murdering and bagging Bobby in the plastic, Carl said he called out to Bonnie, who walked back to the car and helped Carl load the body into the back seat. After arriving at Bonnie's home in St. Joseph, Missouri, the couple waited until nightfall so that the next-door neighbors, of course, couldn't see them. Bearing a body, and they dragged a the plastic wrap body to the shallow grave they had prepared for a few days before the kidnapping, dumped it inside, and then covered it with dirt. The next morning, they brought out chrysanthemums, which they planted on top of the grave.
1: Mm. So,
0: obviously, there's no sympathy in this at all, but I, for, when I first read that, I was like, wow, I wonder if they were feeling bad and they wanted to plant some beautiful flowers for them. I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, no. They're, They're planting them to cover, cover it up. up. Yeah, there's no sympathy in this. They, no, these are garbage people. So Bobby's kidnapping and murder, of course, was like, very scandalous in the nation at the time, and it soon led to federal indictments for Carl and Bonnie. They both pleaded guilty to kidnapping and murder, and were actually executed together in what? Missouri in the gas tabor- chamber on December eighteenth, nineteen fifty-three. Isn't that crazy? I know wow. when I read, I know when I read that, I was pretty shocked. To That's like, some movie stuff right there. I would like. What did they? do? I'm. This is. I'm sorry. Morbid thoughts. So my mom, I'm like. they were in the gas. Like, what were they doing when they're in the gas chamber together? Were they like holding hands, hands hugging? Like, were they on opposite sides just pissed off at each other? Like, I'm just so curious about that scenario. Like, what a odd thing to happen. I've never heard of that before. No. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Together. Wow. Yeah. Again, as we talked about since September, as of September 2020, Bonnie was only one of the two women since 1965 to be executed by federal authorities. The other was actually. Ethel Rosenberg, who if you know history a little bit, along with her husband Julius, were convicted of being Soviet spies and executed by electric chair on June 19th, the same year in 1953. Mm. So she was the only other woman, which I've heard of that story. I don't know too much about it, but I have heard of that. Weird story is that only $288,000 of the ransom money was ever recovered, which is like nothing. So, I mean, they didn't have it for that long. So it's not, you know, Bonnie was only left with two grand. So like... he was yeah
1: spending it on a whole bunch of prostitutes, but she- they couldn't have costed what like another two three hundred thousand. Over yeah, almost
0: four hundred thousand. Really, I mean, like it takes effort oh, to spend that, especially in nineteen fifty three. We have the accurate total. The missing three hundred twelve. Math is not my thing, so sorry mm-hmm. about that. But it was actually three hundred twelve thousand dollars that was remained like missing. Oh, so that's crazy, right? Right. So so there's some theories accounting for where this was. Number one, a cab driver who took. Carl to the motel had tipped off a local mobster, and he had it weird. <laughs> okay, Hall um, Hall tried unsucce- unsuccessfully to bury the cash near the Merrimack River, um, though the FBI would later search that area and nothing was ever found. Um, suitcases in Hall's possession upon his arrest were not brought to the Eleventh District Precinct Station. They were saying that possibly, like the resting officers a lieutenant and patrolman were part of it or something yeah they came up on it can you imagine that they're like "Hmm, nothing to see here we don't know where it went and the fourth kind of thought is the cash fell into the hands of mobsters or hidden in the walls of the motel though in 1995 there is the coral court motel where he was was demolished and nothing was there i don't don't know i kind of i mean i respect cops but i feel like Cops might have taken it, right? I
1: feel like the mob thing. It's like, why would they leave him with two hundred eighty-eight thousand, right? You and know, like why would they do that? Right? Why wouldn't they just take all of it or take like an even number? And that
0: seems like that seems like a. I mean, I guess at the time it is the fifties, so that's a lot more money than it is uh, to us now. But still, I just feel like that's a lot of work for I feel like they could get it other means, right? I mean, the cops were there at the scene. They found
1: the suitcase. I don't know. I don't know. It'd just be kind of hard to believe on like a high profile case they would stick their neck out on that instead of being like oh try to scrape off a hundred dollars here and there but instead they're going to walk away with over three hundred thousand dollars
0: yeah right I mean no one would need to know well I don't know anyway so those are the two cases of the two women in the last 70 years who have been federally executed or one has not yet but is planning on being but those are the two cases so it's interesting because not the most I mean I feel like Bonnie didn't have as much she didn't commit the murder right you know what I'm saying so I'm actually somewhat surprised she was because of what we talked about earlier how a lot of it's harder to get women to especially
1: in the 1950s yeah
0: so I'm actually kind of surprised that she was uh, executed Carl makes sense obviously but I was kind of I wonder sus- if it had
1: more to do with who the family was at that time Maybe
0: it was a very high profile family it could possibly be it. Yeah to that make could an example a- of her mm-hmm. possibly Uh Lisa makes sense it was a very horrific crime um she committed it so it's very interesting Yeah I just thought that was a pretty interesting case to realize that like yeah women you don't hear about women being executed very often Right and so, so
1: let's mark our calendars and see if the execution yeah, actually
0: happens That will be something we have to kind of update and talk about cuz I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't cuz things get pushed back v- very easily in those kind of situations. Right. So we
1: w- we shall see. TBD. Yeah. <laughs> for pictures regarding this case, you can visit us on Instagram at over the fence underscore podcast. And wherever you guys listen to us on any of your podcasting
0: platforms, if you could go on there and leave us a review and a nice uh, rating, that'd be awesome. And we've actually had a really, a lot of nice, really nice reviews lately. So thank you for that. And we always like posting those on our Instagram just to say thank you. So if you do review us, you might see us on our instagram absolutely or see the review on our instagram and
1: stitcher has actually released a new app recently so that you can go on and instead of, of giving us a like you would give us a follow to, uh, to go after our podcast so that's oh, a cool. new release so you can follow us now nice on stitcher awesome cool. um, as another listening platform all right um but until then please join us next time as we talk true crime over the fence